It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. After a lifetime of preparation, last week, the former Prince of Wales became King Charles III. In carrying out the heavy task that has been laid upon me, and to which I now dedicate what remains to me of my life, I pray for the guidance and help of Almighty God. After more years spent waiting to reign than any other heir apparent, the king is now in post, and according to polls, his popularity is surging. But in a week spent under the constant scrutiny of the world's cameras, he's already had a few awkward moments. He is making headlines for all the wrong reasons. Up to 100 Clarence House staff have been told they could be about to lose their jobs. It's a message they received while they were working around the clock to smooth Charles's elevation to the throne. It doesn't matter that some have worked for him for decades. He never even had the decency to address them himself. For someone who has just become king, King Charles III seems to be in a really bad mood. Oh, God, I hate when he was signing the proclamation at St. James's Palace, he pushed one set of pens impatiently to a side and then asked for another to be moved with a very contemptuous wave of his hand. So what kind of king will Charles be? What are the challenges he'll face? And will this famously sensitive man be able to adapt to the added pressures of life under the full glare of public scrutiny? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, a new reign. What can Britain and the Commonwealth expect from King Charles? My name's Roya Nikar, and I'm the Royal Editor for The Sunday Times. As a seasoned royal correspondent, Royer has watched the former Prince of Wales for years. For many, many years, people have speculated that Charles was getting frustrated at not getting the top job, but I, I never really saw it that way. Whenever the subject was raised, it was always very much 
in documentaries that you know where he spoke about the moment was always going to be about the demise of his mother and for him of course he's now finally got the top job one of the greatest sovereigns in history is no longer with us and that's his mother so of course it's incredibly bittersweet We have a a far greater sense of who Charles is and his interests, his passions, than we did when the Queen was crowned. She was so young when it happened. Do we know what kind of a person he is in private? Well, the King has always been, for a very long time, a, a creature of habit. And he, you know, follows a very similar routine to start his day. He's a very conscientious, sensitive person. I think anyone who works with him will tell you that he's quite a sensitive person, takes things to heart and is a very good listener. He works very hard all through the day. And I don't imagine that will stop. As king, his routine might be ever so slightly different in terms of now having to spend even more time on affairs of state. But I don't think his work ethic, which was extraordinary as Prince of Wales, will change. And did you hear from people he worked with, some of his members of staff? Yes, of course. He starts his morning relatively early, doesn't eat lunch, works all the way through, goes back to his desk after dinner and carries on working past midnight. I think a lot of people who worked with him found him very decisive. And if you needed a decision, you might get that very late at night, but you would still get it. Mm. That is the type of person that we now have as king. And what sort of a personality is he? He's certainly got a sense of humour behind closed doors. And I think he's sensitive. He's very in tune with people who are having a hard time. He's quite a caring soul. I mean, you know, there were people who worked with him who he would always ask about their families. His old nanny from his childhood, every day her meals were prepared by his chefs and his chauffeur was there to drive her wherever she wanted. That sense of loyalty to his staff has now been thrown into question after reports this week that as many as a hundred of the King's former employees at Clarence House, the team who served him as the Prince of Wales, could now lose their jobs without warning, rather than being brought into his new household. The new King under scrutiny. 100 staff members from King Charles' former residence could lose their jobs as he moves to Buckingham Palace, a union calling the decision heartless. So what do we know about Charles as a family man? And how close was his relationship to his parents? That is a relationship that books have been written about and endless speculation. And there is no doubt that the Prince of Wales did not have the easiest relationship with his parents during his childhood and his young adult life. Like I said, he is a sensitive soul. And the Duke of Edinburgh and the Queen were not known to be very sensitive souls. They were much more pragmatic and practical about life. And I think as he was growing up, and certainly as his mother and father became queen and consort, they had much less time for family and their priorities were queen and consort and traveling the world. So that was a difficult relationship. But it's well known that in the later years of the queen and the Duke of Edinburgh's life, Charles had a much better relationship with them. Your Majesty, Mummy. I wanted to pay my own tribute to your lifetime of selfless service. You are our head of state, and you are also 
our mother. He became much close to them again, certainly as he was getting close to the top job, and saw them much more often, spoke to them all the time. And what about his own relationship with his sons? There has been a lot of public declarations about you know, a rift between him and Prince Harry, but do we know how close they are? I think, despite everything, even when he was Prince of Wales, still was very close to his sons. Now that he is king, that won't change. All families, particularly the House of Windsor, have been through ups and downs for many decades. And he's very close to his sons, both of them. Certainly, he's able to see William a bit more because obviously he's based here. But even through the very difficult process of Harry and Meghan leaving the royal family as working royals and moving to America, and some of the comments that they made afterwards, which I know that the then Prince of Wales found very tough, he loves his sons, both of them. Our new Prince and Princess of Wales will, I know, continue to inspire and lead our national conversations, helping to bring the marginal to the centre ground where vital help can be given. I want also to express my love for Harry and Meghan as they continue to build their lives overseas. And what about his relationship with Prince William, who will, of course, one day be king himself. I mean, has King Charles been a guide for him? I think over the last few years, William has definitely become closer to his father and he definitely became closer to his grandmother, the Queen, as well. And I think Charles and William have been much more aligned over the last four or five years as William's role has increased in the royal family, and he's taken on more of his father and his late grandmother's responsibilities. There's no doubt that he and his father speak about things much more than they probably did 10 years ago. It seems like a long time ago now, but Charles, of course, was at the centre of huge tabloid controversy for years as his marriage to Diana ended. This is the first time in modern political history that the palace has had to announce the separation of the heir to the throne. But both the Prince and Princess of Wales went ahead with their engagements today. What do we know about his relationship with Camilla, the the Queen Consort? How important is she to him? She is hugely important to Charles, both as a support as Prince of Wales. And you could see the marked difference in Charles when Camilla officially came into his life and they were married in 2005. He publicly was transformed. He just became a much happier, more comfortable in his skin person. As queen consort, she will continue to be the most important person in his life in terms of support. And I think if you look back to how many times the queen paid tribute to the Duke of Edinburgh in helping her personally and publicly do that role... Charles will rely on Camilla every single day in order to, you know, face that enormously demanding job as king. Has she sort of been a settling influence? I think she has. After he was able to formally have her in his life and then marry her in 2005, he just felt more at ease with his role and how his future looked panning out before him. Now he had 
the person he really loved with him for the rest of the journey. His success as king will depend as much on his own character and the way he does the job as it will on having his queen consort by his side. No doubt about it. And do we know what her role will look like now? It was interesting that the queen seemed so keen to give it the seal of approval. Well, I think her role will continue very much as it has over the last years that she has been by her side. She was very active as the Duchess of Cornwall with all her various charities and patronages and campaigns. But really, you know, her role has always been to support him and she does that very well. And she will maintain all her charities and I'm sure take on more. First and foremost, she's there to support her husband, the king. And Roya, over the decades, we have come to know the king as a passionate campaigner for a number of causes. Just talk us through the ones that we know mean the most to him. Since the the 1970s, we've heard Charles banging the drum on climate change and the environment. And certainly in the last 10 years or so, that campaigning has got even louder as the the state of our environment and and global climate change challenges around the world have, have worsened. Many of your countries I know are already feeling the devastating impact of climate change through ever increasing droughts, mudslides, floods, hurricanes, cyclones and wildfires. The cost of inaction is far greater than the cost of prevention. As King, I'd suspect we will continue to hear from him in the same way that we heard the Queen speak at COP26 in Glasgow and talk about how people had to pull together and do much more. There is no reason why, as monarch, he cannot continue to support all of Mm. those causes, and I'm sure he will. Will he have to be quite careful about ever appearing political in some of that campaigning, though? Yes, of course he will. And he fully understands that in the sense of knowing that it sometimes got him into trouble when he was the Prince of Wales. We know we heard him at around the time of his 70th birthday speak in a documentary to say, of course, he understands that the role is different. The idea somehow that I'm going to go on exactly the same way if I have to succeed is complete nonsense because the two the two situations are completely different and i think it's vital to remember there's only room for one sovereign at a time not two so you can't be the same as the sovereign if you're the prince of wales or the heir but what he's able to do behind the scenes i don't think he's going to entirely give give up gentle campaigning and lobbying and informing ministers and prime ministers of what he thinks is the best thing to do. But, you know, that's up to it's up to prime ministers and governments whether or not they listen to him. And over the years, we've also heard him campaign about architecture and traditional crafts. Do we know where his passions come from? As the Prince of Wales, he had many years to establish things like his foundation, his many charities which focused on heritage and craft, climate change and the environment. Certainly, you know, a lot of that came from his father. His father was a a, a huge environmentalist, but he had decades to build up his own interests. And actually, that's one of the things that I think will make him a very good king, because he spent so much time exploring so many different issues, both here and around the world. And you mentioned his role will have to change in some respects. In the past, he did have a reputation for writing spidery letters to politicians and campaigning on certain issues. In a way, will that be 
easier now that he'll have weekly audiences with the Prime Minister. I don't think he will be able to write letters to ministers in the same way that he did before. I think that's more dangerous as monarch. Mm. It's a bit closer to the constitutional line. But of course, you know, in the same way that actually all of the Queen's prime ministers were very careful about what they said about those audiences, but they did say that no one had the experience that the Queen has. And actually, King Charles had experience. He'd met Winston Churchill. Mm. He also has had decades long of experience. And I don't think for a second he's not going to still be incredibly interested in the politics of the day, the big issues of the day. Of course he will be. But I think the way in which he expresses his interest in those areas, he will need to be kingly about. It's different now. And Roya, when the Queen came to the throne, the country was in a a real state of flux. We sort of had the end of empire, some uncertainty about what the future would look like. As King Charles now takes power... We equally have the country again trying to re-establish its place in the world. What are the challenges for him? Huge challenges, huge challenges ahead. I mean, there are issues around keeping the union together. There are issues around the Commonwealth. In the last few years, we have seen countries like Barbados transition from realm to republic. And while those nations are staying within the Commonwealth, I think most people assume that there will be certain Commonwealth realms now that will readdress their future and wonder whether they want to continue to have our monarch as their head of state. So I think you know our position in the world has changed now. The Queen's demise was always going to be this very big moment, not just for us, but also internationally. And I think those are all the challenges he has on his plate. The Queen was seen as this extraordinarily important figurehead of stability and continuity around the world. And that's a big challenge for the King. I, Sandra Prunella Mason, do swear that I will well and truly serve Barbados. 55 years after gaining independence from the UK, Barbados cuts its last formal tie to its former coloniser. The royal standard... You were there in Barbados. How did he seem? How did he respond to the challenge of that role of speaking to a country that clearly wanted change? And how did people there respond to him? It was really interesting. It was not easy, that trip. There are public speakers there speaking very openly and strongly about having had a country who they saw as almost oppressive going back in their history and very pleased about the changing times. And actually, I thought he handled it incredibly well. And the speech he gave, acknowledging that Barbados was taking control of its future, was I think thought it was important. The creation of this republic offers a new beginning From the darkest days of our past and the appalling atrocity of slavery, which forever stains our history, the people of this island forged their path with extraordinary fortitude. We know that the Commonwealth meant a lot to the Queen, and clearly the new King has always been actively engaged in it. Do we know how he feels about the prospect of of being head of state of a diminishing realm. I think he's very pragmatic in terms of understanding that realms around the world want to decide their own future. And whether or not he stays as 
king in those countries. I don't think that's what will really bother him. What he is much more focused on is the wider Commonwealth family, which of course he is now head of. He will try and keep the Commonwealth as important as it was under the Queen's reign. And actually, the Queen always referred to it as the family of nations, given the you know ongoing uncertainty around union and, and our position and Brexit. I think the Commonwealth will be even more important to the UK in the years ahead. What do you think his priorities will be? What do you think he wants to achieve and be remembered for? Given how long the Queen reigned for, I think King Charles knows that his time as monarch will be nowhere near in comparison to her. And so his time is relatively limited. And I think Charles will understand that he needs to modernise the institution, modernise the monarchy. And I suspect we will see quite big changes in the way things work and the way the institution works. Not rip up the rule book, but I think adapting it and making it feel a little bit leaner, a little bit more relevant. I think those will be his sort of biggest focuses, but I think also just to leave it in good shape for his son as well. And will he be shrinking the size of the royal family effectively that we see in public life? I think he's been doing that for a while now, together with the late Queen. If you look back to big moments like the Diamond Jubilee, balcony appearance, the Platinum Jubilee, balcony appearance, this was all very focused and very cool. And with Prince Andrew stepping back, with Harry and Meghan stepping back, the core of the royal family and working royals was already being slimmed down, not in the way that Charles planned, but that was already happening. And I think he certainly will look to make it a much tighter, leaner ship. Coming up, should the new king apologise for Britain's role in slavery and colonialism? That's after... A quick message from a colleague. I'm Louise Callahan, a foreign correspondent for the Sunday Times. I work from the front lines of international politics and war, bringing you stories from the Black Sea to the Persian Gulf. We can only do this thanks to subscribers of the Times and the Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name is Lester Holloway, and I'm editor of The Voice newspaper, which is the only um, African-Caribbean British newspaper. Lester Holloway had the unique journalistic experience of working alongside the then Prince of Wales as he guest edited his paper, The Voice, only a few weeks ago. But their relationship goes back further than that. I met the King or Prince Charles, as he then was, about a couple of months ago at Buckingham Palace. It was a Commonwealth reception and myself and a number of colleagues from The Voice newspaper were invited. I exchanged a few words with him. He was aware of the idea that we were discussing with his people in Clarence House of guest editing uh, the newspaper. And so we exchanged uh, a few words and then he moved on. Most of us haven't actually been to a reception in Buckingham Palace. So just set the scene a bit. What is it like? And what's it like when you speak to him? And, and what did you make of him? It was a very grand ballroom hall. Going into Buckingham Palace is clearly, it's meant to overall, I think. Prince Charles himself, very personable. Clearly, he's very good at meeting new people. I'm sure he does meet countless new people every day. But when he met me, he remembered the discussion that has had been going on at that point about guest editing the paper. So how did that come about? What What made you want to have him as your guest editor? And... How keen was he to do it? He was very keen to do it, and uh, we came together from both sides. He was aware that The Voice was celebrating our 40th anniversary, and he wanted to pay tribute. He also wanted to draw parallels with the work of the Prince's Trust that has also been going for 40 years. And both The Voice newspaper and the Prince's Trust were both set up in the same year as a result of events the previous year in 1981, when there was inner city riots across Britain. Uh, And we at The Voice saw the parallels. So we wanted to explore them through the eyes and through the voices of prominent black figures that had been involved in some of the issues that we had been campaigning on over the last 40 years, like black representation in business and the arts and elsewhere. And we wanted to find out about the work that those black figures had done with Prince Charles and sometimes with Camilla. And what we found as well is that uh, there were a large number of black celebrities that had you know, come in contact and been helped by the Prince's Trust. But actually, the Prince's Trust wasn't a celebrity-making factory. The reason why there's so many black celebrities is because they, they've been helping so many black people overall turn their lives around, get into business and other areas of life. And how much did it mean to him to sort of highlight his sort of long-running interest in these issues? You know, particularly given there's been a lot of publicity around Meghan Markle, for example, which has probably raised questions about the royal family's attitude to race. Well, uh, this was not about the royal family. This was about 
Prince Charles as he then was and the work that he has done, there are many, many issues that he has been concerned about and hopefully will continue to be concerned about in his new role that we've been campaigning on for 40 years. And we called him an ally. We said this was allyship. And I'm clear that that, that word, which we did get some heat from, from some of our readers for, is not a laurel to be sat on, but actually an incentive to continue to prove that you are an ally. And we would like to see you continue to speak to black Britons about some of the issues that are of particular concern. What I have said is that nobody has apologised for slavery and colonialism that needs to apologise. Not the royal family, not the government. All we have had from some of them are individual statements of regret. I think that the royal family and the government, perhaps ideally together, do need to apologise for slavery and colonialism and that we need to have a process of looking at the damage that is done, looking at who has gained, and then actually working out what the, this country can do to repair that damage, which is known as reparations. How do you think the new king is viewed by different minority groups across the country? There was obviously quite a lot of fondness, particularly historically, in older generations for the queen. Does he command as much affection? I think that things are changing as far as the royal family is concerned, but nothing is inevitable. We're seeing, particularly amongst the younger generation, campaigns like the decolonize the curriculum. We've seen roads must fall in, in Oxford and elsewhere as well. Certain statues, not just Edward Colston in Bristol, who obviously took a dunk in the harbour. But others as well. There's been issues about street names. There's been a whole range of different things that have happened. And awareness of historical injustice and indeed genocide are actually very real and are not going to go away. It's an issue that needs to be dealt with. That's not to say that every young black person actually feels that way. We're not a homogeneous community. Uh, a few months ago, uh, I was in uh, Brixton when Prince Charles, as he then was, visited. This was a Prince's Trust event which showcased to some of the uh, black entrepreneurs that have been helped. And he greeted the crowds of primarily older black residents there. And there was certainly a lot of affection for him. A lot of people have got other fish to fry, quite frankly, which is why I think that the absence of, uh, or the relative absence of black and brown faces uh, more than outside Buckingham Palace, because the, the scenes didn't look like London as a whole, isn't actually completely reflective, um, I don't think, this is my theory, uh, of the, the views about the royal family. It's actually just that if you are really suffering, uh, as many people are today, with the cost of living crisis, then other things, uh, including the death of the monarch, may not actually be top of your uh, priorities. And you mentioned, you know, one of the issues that came up in the edition of The Voice, too, was just how certain Commonwealth countries, like Barbados, do want to look again at whether the monarch should represent them. Do you think that's something he's going to have to address quite soon? No, I think he's actually going to be a bystander to that to a large extent. And I think he's pretty much indicated that he would be, that he doesn't see himself as, even if he's seen as being an interventionist uh, monarch in some circles, he, I don't think he's going to be interventionist there in terms of trying to hold on to being the head of state in certain countries. So we've got about 14, 15 states that currently have the monarch or the king now as head of state. And that there's a sort of general movement among some of them, not all of them, but some of them to follow the example of Barbados and go fully independent. First among them is Jamaica, who've indicated that they are going to engage in this process. 
And Antigua since the death of the Queen. That's right, absolutely. Maybe even in Belize as well. The issue of the Commonwealth is slightly different because Barbados is still in the Commonwealth. You can be in the Commonwealth and actually not have the king as head of state. The question about the Commonwealth actually is one about its usefulness as a club. And my view is that the Commonwealth as an entity is massively under-resourced. So as a result, it can't really do a lot. Primarily, it's more of a convening club. It can give smaller states, island states, for example, a greater voice than they might have. But I think that there has been an appetite, particularly among the global south, for the Commonwealth to not just be a talking shop, but to actually be a vehicle which can really give them proper access to international finance, to grow and invest. And in addition to that, to prepare for climate breakdown, because many countries, particularly island states, are at the forefront of the environmental catastrophe to come. If the Commonwealth can move to be more useful in a practical sense to the Commonwealth nation, then it will continue, regardless of its history of emerging from the ashes of empire. If it survives and if it is seen, seen as useful going forward, I think actually that more countries will probably join it rather than it disbanding. Do you think he's the sort of figure who can represent all Britons? at home and in the wider world. I see no reason why King Charles III can't represent all Britons to the extent that that monarch does represent them. He's definitely shown quite a canny sense as to which bridges he needs to build. For example, in his address the other day, he talked about his love for uh, Meghan and Harry. I, th- I thought that was uh, a signal to end the hostilities that are going on there. Obviously, it remains to be seen whether certain undomesticated elements of the media take heed or not, but we will see as far as that's concerned. What that shows really is that he is clearly aware of his role as a unifier. And uh, I'm sure that he's aware that the monarchy only rules really by consent. And therefore, he and perhaps the Slim Dan royal family need to continue to work to make sure that consent is earned. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Roy Nikar, the royal editor for the Sunday Times, and Lester Holloway, editor of The Voice newspaper. You can find more royal coverage online at thetimes.co.uk with a subscription. The producers today were Chris Wade and Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening. See you again soon. <laughs>